Hi friends, welcome to season two of Bar of the Conference. I'm your host, Derek Scott III. Today, we have a special episode. This past fall, I stepped into a new role as co-convener of UMC Next, alongside my good friend and colleague, Cynthia Weems. UMC Next is a group of lay and clergy leaders who are working to help envision the future of our denomination. We just relaunched with a new website and a podcast, Yes, I did launch another podcast. This podcast, the UMC Next podcast, is a series of inspiring messages. And I get to co-host it and curate it alongside another good friend and colleague, Katie Dawson. And I thought it would be really cool to share the UMC Next podcast with the bar of the conference audience. Now, you've likely noticed that I haven't interviewed any of our Episcopal leaders on bar of the conference. This is partly because the discernment done inside the Bar of General Conference is primarily the work of lay and clergy delegates. Bishops do not have a vote at General Conference. So it seemed appropriate to focus these interviews on delegates who can cast votes. However, I'm sure you've also noticed that not all of my guests have been delegates. And it's also true that bishops influence the decisions and discernment that occur throughout our worldwide connection. Now, it may be some time before I can secure a two-hour block on a bishop's calendar, but I believe today's episode might be a close second to a full interview, and that's where the UMC Next podcast comes in. The very first episode of the UMC Next podcast featured a message delivered by Bishop Cedric Bridgeforth. You'll hear more about Bishop Bridgeforth and the context of the message in a moment. But what I hope you'll consider is how Bishop Bridgeforth's own life and testimony is a story that many, including myself, will take with them into the bar of General Conference in 2024. I'm excited to cross-share this episode on Bar of the Conference because it's sermons like this one that are helping shape the future of our denomination and I believe for the better. Pay attention to the show notes for more information on the new UMC Next podcast. And don't forget to grab that notebook and a choice beverage. All right, friends, enjoy. Hello, friends, and welcome to the UMC Next podcast, inspiring messages that point to the future of the United Methodist Church. I'm Katie Dawson. And I'm Derek Scott III. Each episode, we listen to voices from across our connection who are reclaiming our Wesleyan heritage and reimagining how our worldwide denomination makes disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I'm excited to share this incredible message from Bishop Cedric Bridgeforth. He gave this message at a Sunday morning worship service that was a part of our men's convocation which took place in October of 2023 at First United Methodist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Bishop Bridgeforth, who was elected in November of 2022 and is the first openly gay person of color to serve as bishop, leads the greater Northwest Episcopal area in the Western jurisdiction. His message, which I am calling 143, 
calls all of us to truly live the faith that we profess as United Methodists. Drawing on Psalm 143, Bishop Bridgeforth reminded us that there are more to the ideas of theology and witness than the labels that we've attached to them. He offers us a challenging and also inspiring charge, declaring that God is not finished with us. This is a good word for the continuing and emerging United Methodist Church. Special thanks to the good people at First UMC Charlotte for their assistance in sharing this message on the podcast and to Reconciling Ministries Network for their support. Okay, friends, enjoy the message. You know, as I've been reflecting and preparing for this moment, I have to say 40 years is a long time. But as we've heard a few times that 40 just marks the organizational time for the work existed long before. And a few days ago, some gathered together back here and shared stories about the movement about the struggle and I imagine it was good to be together for a little while remembering and so as we look at this text from Psalm 143 you know that last verse is a little scary I know it's like I mean it was going along so well Answer me, tell me, show me, deliver me, teach me, guide me, make me, bring me, wipe out my enemies. (laughs) Well, that's scripture for you. (laughs) And that's life. Psalm 143, 12 verses packed with all kinds of goodness there and the one that stood out most to me was verse 5 and it's actually the first two words in verse 5 that captured my imagination and have held me and those words are I remember. Verse 5 in total reads, I remember the days long past. I meditate on all your deeds. I contemplate your handiwork. I remember. I remember in late 1999 and early 2000 having homeless families and those existing with addictions and those long banished from the pews of most respectable churches calling me pastor and my hearing of that as an affirmation of my call to ordained ministry. I remember my first general conference 2008 in Fort Worth where I was elected and served as a second reserve clergy delegate. And I said, are these people crazy? (laughs) And then I remembered, I am these people. (laughs) And probably. (laughs) I remember General Conference 2019, for it was the first time that I sobbed like a disgruntled baby right there in my seat. And right there in that same seat where I was bawling my eyes out, feeling as though my very heart was being pulled 
from my body, but I received a text from a friend. A friend that I had made many years before and had not remained in contact with. But I received a text that contained three simple numbers. One, four, three. And I smiled. Those three numbers, one, four, three, don't mean anything on their own, but in succession and from this friend, they meant everything. And it was exactly what I needed. And so when I was told the scripture for today was Psalm 143, I said, okay. And so I started working on it. And so the setting here for Psalm 143, it's, you know, attributed to um, David. It's one of uh, David's psalms, and it's assumed that this was uh, crafted around, you know, there's this little episode where one of David's sons, Absalom, you know, you've met him, uh, was trying to kill David to seize power. Absalom was trying to topple the maker of the empire so that he could become the ruler of the empire. But see, what Absalom didn't realize was that the empire always strikes back. <laughs> You're welcome, Jeremy. And so here in this psalm, David calls out petitions to God because of God's righteousness and God's faithfulness. Not because of David's righteousness and faithfulness, but because of God's righteousness and faithfulness. And as I was looking at this, I started thinking that, you know, often we think God shows up because of our righteousness. When most of us, if we're honest, most of us care more about being right than we do about being righteous. And we think that God shows up because of our faithfulness. When oftentimes it's our twisted view of our faith that hinders our ability to express faithfulness to people or causes beyond those that directly benefit or agree with us or our position. Maybe I should use this mic. Because I don't think you hear me. <laughs> if you can't say amen, say ouch. It's all right. But David calls out to God because David has seen God at work. Now, in my tradition, the preacher right here would ask, do I need to call the roll? And the only proper response is, call it. So do I need to call the roll? See, David had seen God at work. Remember when the prophet came to David's home to anoint the next king of Israel. The prophet and the family assumed it was the oldest and then the next and the next and the next. No one thought that this little one way out on the backside of the field tending to the animals and tending to the crops would ever rise up to be the next king. See, something about his existence, something about who he was, something about where he was born, something about how he identified made him incompatible with that office. 
You said call the roll. <laughs> David had seen God at work in that little mishap, that little entanglement with Goliath. David had seen God at work when he had to battle with Saul in order to become and to live into what God had called him into. David had seen God at work even within his own family, in and against and with his own sons. David had seen God at work when army after army after army mounted up against him. He's faced some giants, physically, spiritually, and otherwise. So David called out to God. And we call out to God because we've seen God work. Amen? Amen. But sometimes we, we're a little slow. Because we struggle. We struggle with intellectualizing our faith. We, we, we struggle because we, 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 we don't let our faith function in a dynamic way. We struggle to believe that God will show up even though we've seen God show up time and time again. So what if, I mean, riddle me this, what if, what if, what if, what if, Charlotte, what if God was at work through the makers of this denomination to adopt United as our first name? What if that was more of an aspiration than a compromise. What if God was at work giving us an ideal that could be a reality in our lifetimes if we would live the faith instead of debating it and trying to legislate it? if God is at work challenging us to let go of the UMC and grab hold of the best of what God has to offer, to trust more in God and each other than we do in an institution? What if we are to lean more heavily upon the bonds that we make more so than the rules that we break? What if we let go of what UMC has come to mean to many? Do I need to call the roll? You know what it means out on the streets, UMC, upper middle class. I mean, you know where we know poor because we avoid poor when we see it. You know UMC, undeniably messy church. Oh, we know how to have an argument. We know how to get a fight going and keep it going. Amen? Amen. Oh, you know UMC, unrelenting meddlers in classism. <laughs> you haven't heard that one. That's mine. <laughs> but like David, we need a God who is righteous, and faithful. A God who's not impressed or fooled by legislation or resolutions. Like David, we have some giants that need to be slayed. 
We have those in our family committed to uphold the empire by any means necessary, like David. We have state-sanctioned violence alive in Ukraine, in Palestine, Israel, the Sudan, and on the streets of the United States of America. We have indifferences to inequities and discrimination. We see it every day with the disavowal of science and decency, the disappearance of common sense and dignity, the disintegration of discourse and collaboration. Beloved, here it is. We have armies marching our way with misinformation, disinformation, and tongues loaded with as much gospel as they do hatred that they label as something that's in our best interest and as orthodoxy. Well, I grew up in Alabama. Alabama the beautiful, sweet home Alabama. Family steer there, love them. But when we think about orthodoxy, the KKK, redlining, voter suppression, restrictions on women's health, discrimination, discrimination against all things not white, not married, not English speaking, and born in this country or one at a higher latitude than where we now sit, all deemed orthodoxy. But orthodoxy is not God. Conservative theology is not God. Progressive theology is not God. Centrist theology is not God. Those are constructs that create mildly interesting boxes for God. Now, my bag is already right there. It has wheels on it, so I can leave quickly. Progressives have the worst record when it comes to inclusionary language with practice. Oh, you want me to call it? Progressives? <laughs> Progressives have the worst record when it comes to inclusionary language with practice. We talk a really good game. I think we have the language, but the practice is too far behind for my comfort. So let's rid ourselves of our racist policy structures and behaviors while we're out in the streets telling other people to rid themselves of their racist policy structures and behaviors. See, I prefer, grew up in Alabama, I prefer a verbal racist to a silent one who looks like they're on board. All right, I'm, I'm meddling. All right, so let me get the good. So David includes in this psalm, 
this song of penitence, as they say. In verse 6, it says, I stretch my hands to you. And, and when I read that and was looking at it, I remembered that good old Wesleyan hymn and one of my Baptist grandfather's favorites. Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdraw thyself from me, whether shall I go? See, I like that because this is, it points to the fact that this is about the provider, not about the provision. Because see, if, if we worship the provision long enough and we make the provision our God, our enemies will make what we want look like what we need and we'll thank them for it. See, David stretched his hands to God because of God's faithfulness and God's righteousness. David remembered how God has shown up for him and for others. That's why he could sing out that great litany in verses 7 through 12. Oh, and if I could sing like my good brother Kylan back here, I would sing that song. I mean, he says, answer me, tell me. Show me, deliver me, teach me, guide me, make me, bring me. Oh, I would sing that. Whew, and we would shout. Oh, we'd run around this sanctuary. We'd have a good old Holy Ghost time. I mean, my version of the song would go something like, Answer me, how long, Lord? Tell me what more must we endure? Show me the errors of my ways. Deliver me from my progressive thoughts that have me stuck. Teach me to love as you love. Oh, the song would go on. We'd have a nice little hook in there somewhere. And then we'd come back with a, another verse that would say something like, Guide me beyond my arrogance and ego. It would say, Make me an instrument of grace and peace. Bring me into right relationship with those I've deemed are my enemies. Oh, that would be the song. But I can't sing in a way that would please your ears. <laughs> but I remember. I remember God is not through with any of us. God is not through with me yet. I remember that God used David, flaws and all. I remember God is faithful and righteous. Especially when the church, when my family, the government, laws, policies, polity, and those smiling in my face are not. What do you remember? What do you remember that helps you get through the tough times? What do you remember about God that keeps you moving onward? What do you remember about God that convinces you that your life matters? What do you remember about God that assures you that you will be okay? I remember. I remember receiving a text from a friend that I had made many years before. The text contained three simple numbers. One, four, 
three. And I smiled. And those three numbers don't mean anything on their own, but in succession, and from this friend, they meant everything and was exactly what I needed. See, back when we met in 1998, <laughs> He told me he had established this code with his girlfriend. Girlfriend wasn't code. He had established a code with his girlfriend. <laughs> it was 1998, you know. <laughs> he established this code with his girlfriend, so they would send codes to each other on their, their uh, pagers. Let me see. Yeah, y'all know what a pager is. <laughs> there was one code that was most sacred for them, and that code was one, four, three. And he told me that the one was for the one-letter word, I. And the four was for the four-letter word, L-O-V-E. And the three was for the three-letter word, Y-O-U. One, four, three. And so RMN, Charlotte First United Methodist Church, one, four, three. <laughs> one, four, three for the children who long to belong. One, four, three for the young people seeking to be seen. One, four, three for the parents struggling to make ends meet. One, four, three for the LGBTQIA plus co-conspirators for justice. One, four, three for black trans women who grace the world with their beauty and tenacity. One, four, three for queers called and anointed by God. One, four, three for pastoral leaders who put it all on the line every single day. One, four, three for legislatures that are ripe for repentance and reparations. One, four, three for war makers who are in the crosshairs of peaceful conclusions. One, four, three for peacekeepers who know the value of every human life. One, four, three for reconciling ministries network for 40 plus years of bringing light in darkness. One, four, three for all who remember the days long past. One, four, three. Because we know that we can face tomorrow because we know who holds it. Beloved, it's not you, it's not me, and it's neither the GMC nor the UMC. But like David, I'm casting my lot with G-O-D. So one, four, three. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Bar of the Conference is produced by the team at Wesley's Revival, a ministry of Studio Wesley. Subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or Google platforms so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for joining us, and see you next time.